I'm Kim. I'm married to an addict alcoholic. Hi, Kim. My name's Chris, and I am an addict alcoholic. Hi, Chris. Hi. Uh, today, we're going to have a call-in. Is this person anonymous? Nope. Oh, okay. They're open to having their name out there, Morgan. Um, she's going to be sharing her experience with us and uh, what sobriety looks like to her. And uh, yeah, I'm excited to to have this conversation. Any updates? I had my first craving the other day. What do you mean? Uh, so I haven't had like a craving or like a desire. And I was at Target and I was walking by and I saw these really cool looking barbecue sauces. And it said Moscow Mule and my brain went. Oh. And brought me to like that cold. I had one Moscow Mule. It was like a cranberry Moscow Mule. And it was the most delicious drink I've ever had. And my mind went to that. And I was like, Interesting. Was it pretty fleeting or? Uh, yeah. I mean, until I left the Target. So Mm. it was hanging in there for a while. And then I think it was mostly, it's like the ginger beer that gives you that like, I'm like, maybe if I just drank a ginger beer and I was like, I don't really like, cause we would drink diet ginger beer and I'm like, I don't really don't want to buy ginger beer. Yeah. Because why I drink soda is because there's caffeine. Ginger beer is not going to give me any caffeine. So Yeah. Um, so that was... That's I, interesting. I saved that for the podcast. It was nice. very interesting because I've driven by signs and I've driven around. I've seen things and that was the first time where I'm like, whoa. I'm glad you were able to stay sober and fight those demons. It's not fun. Congratulations. I hit six months so- sobriety. Did. Yay. That's a big milestone in, in the recovery world. Like they say that that's, that's the big one. If you can make it six months, then, then it gets easier for me. Then I can start running five miles. I think so. Oh, okay. I'll give that a try. See if I can make it a mile. Yeah. That sounds good. Okay. All right. You ready? I guess. All right. Let's do this. Hey, Morgan. Hi. How are you doing? I am well. How about yourself? Uh, I'm doing good tonight. That's fantastic. Uh, Morgan, we we met at the uh, the Nordic Brewing, I believe. Yes. Mm-hmm. Fellow comedian, open micer. How long have you been doing stand-up for? Um, like technically six or seven years, but it wasn't until this past year that I was really kind of going to every show possible. Wow. That's awesome. So, I mean, writing for that long is, is a pretty big feat, I would say. Yeah. Uh, I actually started writing a lot in like first and second grade for poetry. And then I did musicals for many years. So comedy kind of happened by accident. It just kind of all fell into place. Wow. Wow. Wubsy, as we say. (laughs) (laughs) Um, that's awesome. Um, so, I initially, we were going to have you on, um, our like normal podcast to like block stuff up, but, uh, you you had reminded me that you are, uh, in recovery yourself. Yes, I am. Um, I am a sex addict or sexaholic, uh, and I've been sober for four years now. That world is, is totally uh, new to me. I mean, obviously we know that people can be addicted to, to anything, but I'm curious as to 
when, when do you recognize, well, let's start at the beginning, I should say. So what was, <laughs> what was childhood like for you? Yeah. Uh, so I'm actually a Korean adoptee. Uh, so I was adopted at four months, uh, from Seoul, South Korea, uh, directly into Minnesota. So basically I grew up here. Uh, and for the most part, my parents have always been very supportive of me, uh, like learning about adoption and stuff like that. Uh, I went to a Korean adoptee culture camp in summers for a lot of my childhood. And then, you know, unfortunately, adoption agencies don't say, hey, you just adopted a child who's a different color than you. People are probably going to treat them differently. Um, you know, they really tell parents, of course, treat them like you would a biological child, which makes sense to some degree. But unfortunately, if you treat me like a white child, um, and I go to school and all the white children, like they treat me like an Asian girl, which is very different. Uh, and so that's kind of, you know, how things started, how I grew up a little bit different. That's very interesting. I never thought about that, that, yeah. So as far as like your heritage and things like that, did they, do you remember them talking about that at all when you were growing up? Not really. <laughs> uh, they mostly sent me, it's like a five to six day summer camp, uh, you know, from I think kindergarten and mostly every summer uh, until like high school. When you start at that point, you're like uh, like a volunteer there, not just a camper. Okay. Mm -hmm. So that was the extent of it. And it was mostly those uh, days at camp. Um, and then after that in college, they supported me to do some university in Korea as well. Do you know your your family or? Yeah. So I started birth searching when I was 19 and I'm now 29. I'm, <laughs> it's been a while. Uh, I actually haven't been able to find um, like direct like mother and father uh, type of family at all in the search. Uh, so when I went there for university, it was really just to, you know, have my first trip there and do school there and learn culture. Uh, I've done the DNA testing with 23andMe. Me, so I do have like third cousins, uh, one of which I've met uh, one time, but that's as close as it's really gotten. Wow. I, I can't imagine. That's so, I mean, that in itself is in incredibly impressive. And uh, that's that's great that your your parents uh, supported that. And um, wow. So now you'd kind of alluded to the way that um, if, you know, if you if you're not raised to kind of be aware of the way that children treat you or may treat you because of the color of your skin, um, that that can kind of create a, a tense dynamic what was what was that like yeah um so i think more people know now that a lot of uh black american children their parents teach them how to act around white people how to act around cops and really you know just how to act in in different other you know minority cultures uh so with me my parents 
were just like, just act like a white kid. I mean, they didn't say that. They just raised me like that. Uh, so when I would go to school, I mean, even, even um, at like daycare, when I, you know, before kindergarten, kids were very aware of my race and would let me know. Uh, so when we'd play house, I was never mom or dad. I was always something like Princess Jasmine, uh, because that made sense to other kids when we were, you know, that young. Uh, and then kindergarten, you know, through my entire education, really, and, you know, in the work field as an adult, definitely people treat me as an Asian woman. Um, so they're like, surprised that I'm a bit more outgoing than they would expect, you know, I'm not very submissive. Uh, and then, you know, sexually, people are quite aggressive. Uh, and it's strange that it's been like that since I was a kid. I, I hate to uh, ask it this way, but oftentimes there's trauma associated with addiction. Mm -hmm. And I would assume that um, uh, as a uh, former sex addict, uh, or sex addict in recovery, that trauma may have played a role in your life as well? Definitely. Uh, yeah, I think sex addiction is kind of um, commonly seen as like something that uh, like men in places of authority say to cover up that they're a cheater. Um, I think if someone honestly is a chronic teacher, cheater, um, or like chronically looking at porn or masturbating, that's generally what sex addicts are mostly known as. And when you go to meetings, it's mostly that type. Uh, so maybe, yeah, I mean, it is a bit different. Um, I was hypersexualized as a child, and that's kind of eventually how the addiction formed. Uh, so when I was in fourth grade, I was going to like a nice public school in Minnesota, and the like <laughs> i wasn't the class clown quite yet uh but this other kid was and he physically assaulted me on the playground uh and no one said or did or anything he just came up and grabbed my chest um one day in the playground and squeezed really hard i had bruising from it uh, and he just kind of laughed and said i thought asians were supposed to be flat um, and then like a couple of weeks later, I, my mom was like, oh yeah, we should get you a training bra. Cause it was just that age and that time. Uh, but he knew it, I guess, before it was realized by myself and by my family. And that's how he pointed it out to everyone. Um, so that was, you know, kind of the first of it. Uh, and it was really the first time I had ever heard of, you know, how an Asian woman's body should look, I guess. Uh, so it was weird that he was teaching me these stereotypes that I, I had never heard before. Man, God, I hate that. Cause I, the, the first thing I think of is, is our kids. And when you talk about the whole training bra thing our you know, my, my nieces are going through that. My own daughter, uh, is, has been introduced to that now. And I, I can't imagine what I would do if I knew that that had happened. It's freaking awful. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> now going on, uh, later on in life. So being made, having forced to be made aware of, um, you know, this physical aspect of yourself that you now have to be on guard about. Um, 
was there a point that it turned into, oh, that must be what guys want? Oh, definitely. Uh, I think a lot of Asian Americans especially kind of fall into being the token mm. with their friends. Uh, so this definitely made me think like, oh, if a guy thinks I'm pretty, it's because I'm Asian. So I should always ask if he likes Asian girls or does he have a fetish for Asian girls? Um, it got to the point that I was so like accepting of this hypersexualized, like super racist role that uh, I would like, my nickname was the Asian and I gave that to myself and I sewed it in as like patches, like onto my own like clothes and hoodies and stuff like that. Um, but it probably wasn't until uh, like college or so that I realized uh, that I didn't want to date anyone that solemnly was interested because of that. Because time and time again, they had very clear expectations of what they expected from an Asian woman that I a, didn't fit and didn't want to like portray those ideas. Wow. I man, this is a, a whole, whole new world to me. I'm trying to think of how to even, I, I, I just, the empath in me is freaking out. So when it comes to relationships, then, um, did, I mean, did you have relationships where you felt like it was more than just, um, this kind of novelty, um, and that there was something deeper uh, probably not until the last handful of years, you know, dating guys who fetishize you, obviously they don't respect you to some degree. They are actually racist. Um, and you know, that really just falls you into a crowd of dating guys who eventually are like quite abusive. Uh, so I dated a few dudes, uh, in particular long-term who were really physically and emotionally abusive. Um, and it was really a lot of it stemming, you know, from their own mental illnesses, of course, but how they viewed Asian women. Uh, and so once I was able to finally break that cycle, uh, and was able to, you know, hook up uh, with people who respected me and respected my body and we didn't have that type of uh, racial expectation. Uh, eventually, you know, that kind of um, having my own like body positivity spiraled into the real sex addiction because uh, I had been you know, going for since my childhood of having that expectation of like racist abusive sex. And then once I finally broke the cycle, I realized I didn't actually eliminate that from my life because I didn't know how to function without it. Uh, so there was a few years of uh, like full-blown sex addiction, hooking up with people who are consenting adults, of course, but I'm replacing, you know, sleeping with multiple men a week or a night, uh, because I'm no longer being controlled by just one person. Oh, wow. So once I was able to get help for that and go through the steps, uh, and really be queen of it, uh, and obviously, you know, you're always in recovery. Um, once I was able to do that, uh, then I was able to have a couple of relationships that were with healthy, kind of normal, positive people. 
shame is often associated with, um, with addiction. And especially when somebody kind of first, uh, makes you aware of the fact that what you're doing isn't like everybody else or what they think is not like everybody else. So you, you start to hide these aspects of yourself. Mm -hmm. Do you remember a moment when some, like maybe you'd opened up to somebody about kind of the explorations that you have or the things that you were viewing and they made you feel lesser than because of those things? Oh, definitely. Uh, I went out with someone who I actually had known back in high school and we were kind of friends then. Uh, so after all of this and I was in a much healthier place, we went out for a bit and he actually broke up with me uh, after like a handful of dates. He wanted to cut it off because he said I could never be a good mother or a good wife. Oh, uh, wow. Jesus. Which I thought was kind of tragically unfair. <laughs> yeah, that's see. And that's that's a, it's another aspect of addiction that people don't really realize because when you perpetuate these these stereotypes like that bullshit i've i've heard before um promiscuity means that you're incapable of of loving children and and having any kind of responsibility which is complete bullshit mm -hmm. um but that aspect of like when people come upon these certain things or have what they feel to be realizations rather than saying like, hey, I care about you. I just want to make sure um, that you know that further down the line, I would love to have a family. Does that seem like something you would want? Mm -hmm. And st instead, they say bullshit like that that you know makes can can make things worse. Not that that's what happened to you, but that type of thinking is is absolutely what can make things worse for people. Oh, definitely. Yeah, people have a lot of misconceptions about it, and. Um, I mean, honestly, even in the circle of people who are sex addicts, uh, when, you know, we had in-person meetings and stuff, I, no one ever did anything weird really to make me feel uncomfortable. I was just uncomfortable in this space because, uh, when I would go more often than not, um, to any, any particular day or place, they would always want me to give uh, some sort of testimony or background because uh, it gives a lot of the men there that are sex addicts in different ways uh, kind of a face to people that they've used in the past or abused in the past. Mm. Uh, so that's always interesting. There's all, there's like never a dry eye in the house, actually, whenever I uh, talk about my story with them, uh, just because, you know, the girls in the pictures that they would download all the time or, you know, women that they would hook up with, um, you know, who had multiple partners and stuff, they realize that, oh, they probably weren't healthy, too. Oh, I see. Um, I mean, this... Um... God, Kim Duke, you got anything to say? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it's a lot to take in and, and it's, I'm, I'm so glad that you're, you're willing to talk about this yeah. stuff. How long did your addiction go on for? Uh, yeah, there was a solid three years, uh, where it was like kind of the very clear marks of it being, uh, you know, instead of like sexual freedom of it being very unhealthy something that like happened to me when I was, uh, 
like going through recovery. Well, I mean, obviously I'm still going through it, but, um, in the early stages of it, um, was looking back on, because you forget while you're in active use, some of the stuff that you were doing before. And then when you have this kind of these sober weeks, I'm, I'll say substance. Yeah. It's substance, still substance abuse. Um, you don't realize that that's what was happening or that what the, those things that were leading up to it. So were there things that like you didn't realize and then later on were like, Oh wow. I, I didn't know. I, I did. I would not have guessed that that's a sign. Oh yeah, definitely. Um, I would, <laughs> I would, uh, like go on a lot of, uh, online dates, of course, uh, which, you know, being a millennial, being only 29, to me is like very normal. But I would be going on a lot of online dates. And, you know, I I think people who are comfortable with it are okay with going out, you know, once or twice a week uh, to get drinks or coffee or something um, with someone new each time. Uh, and honestly, I know people who just serial date first dates pretty much. Um, and you know, it's fairly normal. Uh, so when I had broken the cycle of abuse and, you know, gotten away from my worst abuser, I thought like, Hey, this is great. You know, I'm participating in normal dating and hookup culture. Yes. means Yes. No means no. Everyone's a consenting adult. Um, but I, I didn't realize that when I was going on multiple dates, it was to fill the void of the multiple days that someone would be controlling me or hooking up, um, you know, with multiple people in a night really filled up kind of this space of, you know, my last partner would like abuse me for an entire evening. Um, I thought I was doing the most normal, like almost like all American girl, like millennial thing. Sure. Um, but for me, it was actually kind of, you know, replacing the abuse with me abusing myself. It seems though, and I don't think that people think about this enough, but so w- would you objectify men kind of looking back on it? Oh, for sure. Um, you know, I was definitely at a point, especially during those three years where so in my phone, it would be like someone's first name and then their height and like if their dick was good or not. And then like keywords so I could remember who that was. Oh. Um, I would always try and take a photo of someone, either like a screenshot from their profile or like the night that we meet with them. Uh, Cause I would not remember who these people are. Wow. At any point, did you become kind of the thing that, that had kind of broken you down in the sense of like, I've never been with a Hispanic man. I've never been with, uh, twin brothers, like things like that. <laughs> uh, no, oh, I didn't. Okay. I think I had more so of like, uh, if anything, they were everyone was more similar than like it wasn't like a bingo list, it was more oh, like okay. one checklist that you had to fill. So it was more in the sense that you knew what you would be able to get out of a person like you know that checks off all th- these certain boxes. And so mm-hmm. you would look for that type of person to fulfill that need. Yeah, it was it was probably more like a few check boxes on like their intelligence and how they look, 
and then a lot of checks boxes of things that could not be because you know i was still in the mindset that like i'm not being abused like this is consensual this is normal behavior it might be a little on the extreme side of how much i was going out and hooking up but it was still to me in the world of normal um you know, I, I could have been like a host uh, or like character for like BuzzFeed or something like that. Uh, is more so how I was viewing, you know, my uh, attitude towards it. Uh, so it would be things like they can't be a virgin. They can't be recently out of a long-term relationship. They can't be cheating at all, you know, stuff like that. Um I didn't want to hurt other people or other people over breach themselves. Mm. And you had brought up that, that cheating aspect uh, earlier Um, in, in the relationships that you were in would, did you ever cheat or was it more that you had been cheated on? Um, I was pretty, pretty heavily cheated on uh, in like different ways. Um, and I did emotionally cheat once, which, uh, so, okay. Uh, I think in junior high, someone cheated on me and it, not that it's ever okay, but honestly, in a very, like your two week junior high relationship and they went on an accidental group date with another girl, it's not the end of the world. And then, uh, my high school sweetheart of many years, the last year that we were together, it was very much. Like, I would try to break up with him all the time, and he would not let me. Um, It was a very manipulative situation, uh, and, like, it did get a little physically abusive at the end. Um, But that whole last year, I found out he had been uh, cheating on me on, uh, like, a near daily basis with someone else. Oh, wow. And then, um, as far as I know, it, it wasn't until kind of my worst abusive relationship uh, in my very early 20s, he cheated on me all the time. But the thing with him, uh, why I would say that he's the most abusive is also he unfortunately was uh, like a serial rapist. Jesus. Right. And his like mom was aware of this. Uh, It it was the most crazy thing I would think would be in like a VC Andrews book or something. Uh, it was such a dark family, such a dark place to be in. And I, I saw him for like two to three years. Um, but he would go out and either actually hook up with or like assault uh, another woman. I didn't find out that he was assaulting them until later because someone found me on Facebook and told me what he did to her. Um, <sighs> but he would go out and like, he was an alcoholic. He would get drunk. He would go to the clubs. You know, he would either actually hook up or assault someone, tell me about it. And I'd be so mad that he cheated on me. Man. And then uh, it was during uh, one of those relationships, uh, a guy friend would reach out to me and check on me all the time because he knew it was bad. Uh, and then he started like, you know, flirting saying that, you know, I'm beautiful and how much he cares about me. And I would totally go with this conversation and accept it. Uh, and it was definitely like emotional cheating and I would never say any type of cheating is okay, but honestly, I probably wouldn't take it back because even though when my partner found out and was very upset and I 
<laughs> I feel bad about, you know, hurting him emotionally like that. Uh, if I didn't have someone in my ear giving me like a better, a positive, like perspective of myself and of the situation, I don't know if I would have been able to like ever leave it. Oh, man, I, I just, that cycle of, and it goes back to that cycle of abuse is, um, you know, when we get in these dark places, we kind of think, well, of course this would happen to me, or of course this would happen, uh, because not that this is what I deserve, but this is, um, just a, a product of, of, uh, my environment now. Yeah. I think it's, I think like sex, sex addiction is a lot of product of your environment, similar to substance abuse. Like I know a lot of people that are addicted to different substances. Uh, and it wasn't just like, Oh, they tried to weed one time and like things spiraled, you know, it was definitely like a friend or family member, uh, was also struggling with that addiction and like, in a way made it okay for them to start trying things. Um, or maybe they like forced them to do it with them or they had to be around it all the time growing up. And, you know, it becomes normal to do this thing that you know is bad for you or, you know, isn't okay. Crap. What was I going to ask? <laughs> oh, um, <laughs> another scary thing um, that, I, that I learned when I was in treatment when it comes to uh, sex and love addicts is that, there are people who will go to meetings um, in a predatory fashion. Oh, I was going to ask mm-hmm. about that. Yeah. So, I mean, were there people that tried to take advantage of what they found out about you? Um, there was only one time someone made me feel uncomfortable. I was on a phone call meeting uh, years ago. I... <laughs> I do sound quite young uh, on the phone, especially. And the guy, one of the guys just like interrupted me and said, you have the cutest voice and people kind of uncomfortably laughed. And then the guy leading said, yeah, you know, let's keep those types of compliments to ourselves. Um, And like maybe not even view that as a compliment and we just don't say them, you know? Yeah. Uh, And the guy was like, no, it's fine. Like, she knows she sounds cute. She sounds so young. Like, how old can you be? Um, and he was almost, guys, a lot of time hit on me like they're talking to a child, which I think is so creepy. That is super creepy. People, sorry, Kim had to answer the door real quick. But uh, people would uh, hit on her basically because she sounded like a child. Oh. And so, ugh, God. Yeah. Uh, And so I immediately just hung up the phone and then I never used that particular Zoom meeting like day and time ever again. Uh, So I have no idea how they handled that other than when they first cut him off and said like, well, let's not do that. Um, Because I just hung up and then uh, the person leading it, uh, they obviously, you know, there's not a lot of women. Uh, and the only people that have my contacts kind of in this community is a handful of people, uh, and they're only women. Uh, so he contacted a couple of women that, you know, he would assume I'd be in contact with to just reach out and say like, Hey, you know, they had talked to that guy and, you know, feel welcome to like ever come back. But I, I got the message, uh, but 
yeah, probably not going to go back there. Yeah. Um, What was, so I know like with other addictions too, people have their like rock bottoms. When was the time that you realized I have a, like, what was the moment where you, you kind of realized you had a problem or was it kind of in your head the whole time, but you weren't, you couldn't kind of navigate? Yeah. So with the sex addiction, um, was obviously not being like fulfilled by all these different hookups um and i started playing this game at bars where you know i was also it it was the age where you would go to bars all the time anyways Uh, but me and my friends would go to a bar and i would see how many people i could hook up with at that bar inside of the bar like that night oh wow because that's a normal thing to do um Nobody does that. That's super messed up. Uh, if you hook up in the bar, you don't stay there, and then you definitely don't try and find other people. Um, so I would like play this game, like you know, kind of against myself all the time. Uh, and then after like a couple of months of doing that, I went on. I think they were one was a Tinder and one was an OK Cupid date. Um, so I went on this Tinder date at night uh and it was like the first day the first evening that we had match i like left the party to like go meet him and then we ended up hooking up like multiple times in one night uh and for me like uh you know my lower half was like quite like raw at that point Uh. and like i was still having fun but like you know those were like abrasions like i obviously i had hurt myself um, and I mean, he wasn't really aware of it cause I didn't say anything. Um, and then like we were up so late the next morning, um, we slept in and it was like, I think past noon or something when I woke up and I freaked out because I had to like get dressed, go home, like shower and then get dulled back up again because I was supposed to have like an earlier date uh, with another new person. Um, and so I like rushed out of there. I like did all that at home and I went on this other date. Um, and then uh, it was definitely supposed to be like a date where we like get coffee. And then he actually lives above the coffee shop where it's not, like, you know, if things are fine, we're going to go hook up upstairs. So then I was like, things are going fine. We have to go hook up upstairs. Uh, And I obviously have like not healed at all. Uh, So I had like sex with another person and it, I just remember it being like pretty excruciating and him of course not having any idea because I did not say anything. Wow. And (laughs) then I had therapy like later that week and I was telling her about it. And I started crying because I couldn't figure out why I would hook up with someone so much that, you know, it it wasn't like fun. I was definitely super injured. And then why on earth would I rush to go do it again? Wow. That was that was kind of the biggest bottom point in the realization of like playing the game was kind of its own thing of me questioning, is this a normal sane thing to do? Um, but after those two dates, I knew that there was something seriously wrong. So how did you did you start looking up sex addiction at that time or what kind of happened from there? My therapist actually said it Um she said that it felt like I had really crossed over from this like 
stance of empowerment to I clearly am not in control anymore. And it's not like there's, it's not like there was an individual who was abusing and controlling me. Uh, and that clearly I was at this point replacing all of that uh, with these, you know, random individuals. Um, and while it may have been like a fun, healthy interaction for them, uh, you know, no one wants to find out later that person they hooked up with was like abusing themselves with them. Um, so at that point I stopped hooking up and I went to my first meeting, uh, and I hadn't even really looked up sex addiction online. She had just given me, uh, like a couple of days and times addresses, uh, that could work with my schedule. And she's like, honestly, you can just tell them that you're not even sure about it yet. And that you just want to like sit in, experience it. Um, but hearing these guys talk and you know reading the book with them i realized that i fit in there uh and that these what they felt like uncontrollable like urges and choices and where they were coming from was exactly what i was doing they might be doing it you know masturbating you know touching themselves or chronically cheating or watching pornography um i just <laughs> i don't know wasn't <laughs> wasn't in their position you know i could go do that physically with someone mm. and I, I just remember this but uh there was a, a podcast that i did a while ago um but w uh, when he and i were, were talking i had mentioned and I've, I've said it on here before but uh there was uh porn and i was a uh a chronic cheater too is not good um and then when when I when that had stopped, this guy pointed out that my drinking went up, and so mm. I had gone from one. So cross addiction um, is a pretty big thing too. In that your brain is still wired for addiction, and that dopamine kick, and that uh, I call it hunter gatherer sense. Like I don't know what else to call it, but. Um, the, the seeking aspect is just as addictive as having the actual thing. Mm -hmm. And I remember that, that feeling so strong, like digging through piles of, of garbage to find, uh, porno, like old porno mags, um, and not even masturbating to them. Just, just feeling like I had to go and find these things and like that, that feverish. So when you said, you like jumped up and knew that you had to get to the other thing. I, I, I know that feeling all too well. And, and that's awesome that you went and found help rather than like trying to quit and then drowning it in something else. Mm -hmm. um, it's interesting. So like listening to you talk to, um, you know, we talk about traumatic events happening I was sexually assaulted when I was younger. And then immediately after that, I, felt this loss of control like I didn't have control over what had happened and this sounds terrible and I don't I haven't openly talked about it but immediately after that I went and slept with four virgins just so I could take something from them because something got taken from me and mm -hmm. I didn't care who I, they were I'm like okay and then it became yeah like it was this trying to find something like oh are you a virgin oh and then I and it wasn't even it sounds so terrible it wasn't even pleasurable 
it was just like mm-hmm. i'm gonna take that from you something got taken from me and then when you talk there were moments where throughout my early you know even later adolescence i would feel that loss of control and then there were times where i there was one night where i slept with three different guys in the same night because i felt like i couldn't control anything but i can control their desire towards me and then i would leave one place and go to another and even in that time like i obviously didn't experience as nearly as bad as you like the physical trauma but in the end it it was it wasn't even pleasurable it was just that i need to get it i can control mm-hmm. what's going on and then i'm done and i can leave exactly yeah i and that just reminded me there like uh there was a time where like during this where there'd be maybe like a handful of people who were not like steady that I was seeing them, but they they were like fuck buddies and we were like all aware. Um, but there was one who like told me like he just got this new roommate with like a crazy name and his other like roommate is like an asshole named Joe. Like and then um and we would like hook up like in at this at this house all the time. Uh, and then one day, you know, serial dating, it was like second or third date I was out on or something that eve- like from that morning to that evening. Uh, so I'm like out with this guy and I'm like, you know what, you know, this guy, Joe, he's, he's got it. And so I like, uh, I think I drove us to his place and he's like, oh yeah, I have this roommate in the basement. And I was like thinking, oh, wouldn't it be funny if it's that guy I hook up with? But what are the chances? And then he just got this roommate with his crazy name. And then at one point, like, he realized that he wasn't giving me directions. I was just driving him to the house at that point because I knew oh, where wow. he lived yeah. in a non-serial killer way. Uh, and I was like, hey, like your housemate is like one of my fuck buddies. So let's not do this because like that's weird. Uh, and I think that was like, you know, someone like fit the, you know, had all the check boxes, the do's and don'ts. Uh, and then uh, at the last minute I was like, Oh, um, it wasn't even like, Oh, I don't want to hurt myself by like creating like a bad situation for myself or other people. It was like, Oh, uh, I have to like protect my fuck buddy because, uh, you know, oh. doing this could wreck his life. And I like, like that's obviously something you should think about if you're hooking up, but I had like no regard to like how that could affect me mm-hmm. doing that and like starting something with other people. Uh, it was such a strange thing to happen. And then because I didn't hook up with anyone that day, I just called someone else, you know, on the list of like fuck buddies that I was like, they must be available. And then I went and hooked up with them instead. Like it was so replaceable. Yeah. And I mean, the, there's obviously there's physical harm that can befall any addict, but, um, in, in the realm of sex addiction, um, were there any close calls as, as far as STDs or, or any other, uh, diseases that you later found out that somebody that you had been with had had contracted? So I'm super lucky. Um, you know, unless it was someone I 
really knew it was, you know, always with a condom. Uh, like, even if you're in a long-term relationship or married, like, technically, uh, it's recommended to be tested every three months. Uh, and I would be tested, like, every other month um, at a clinic. Uh, and then, um, you know, if they hadn't been tested in a while or, you know, no matter how long, like, I have been hooking up or seeing that person, you know, no glove, no love. Um, and I never, what's funny is I never had, like, an STD or pregnancy scare with them either. Um, so I, I was super lucky with that. I know a lot of sex addicts that, you know, had a lot of uh, pregnancies, whether they kept them or not, and then a lot of STDs. Um, so with my therapist uh, guesstimating on like, you know, the months that I know was super high in hookups, and then uh, from like my old like Verizon, um, like phone lists and stuff like that, uh, and the people I do remember, we kind of guesstimate that I've, <laughs> this also includes like, like at least 10 boyfriends, but like about, uh, like 300 ish people that I've hooked up with the majority of which I, if I saw them on the street, I would not recognize them. Um, yeah. you know, so I'm, I'm so lucky that, you know, I can't, I didn't get any sort of STD or STI that I didn't have a pregnancy scare with anyone or, you know, got directly pregnant at all. Um, so that, <laughs> I don't know. That was like the one thing that I was diligent about, I guess. That's, I mean, yeah. that's great. If that's, man, even if that's the one thing that's because, you know, the recovery is always something that's possible for people. And like I've said on here before, like the thing that sucks about recovery is it doesn't mean that everything's fixed just because you're sober, you know? So if you had contracted something sober, sobriety is great. It, it, you know, protects you from things further down the road, but, um, we're not always safe from, from our past actions. So that's, that's fantastic. Mm -hmm. um, so with, um, COVID and everything going on now, do you do like virtual meet? Like, do you still actively attend meetings? Do you usually just reach out the people that you've met in your groups and kind of talk with them? How are you still continuing on your um, path of sobriety? Yeah. Um, I'm really not a big meeting person just cause <laughs> my story is like, so like, I don't, I don't want to be like, Oh, I'm so tragic, but my story in general is like, quite sad um and so going to meetings all the time you know it's uncomfortable to some degree to constantly talk about it mm -hmm, uh, like mm -hmm. i said when i show up they're like sweet let's talk about it because it's, it's helpful for the guys but to some degree if i did it all the time it would not be helpful for yeah. me anymore yeah um so generally i mean before covid with meetings i would really only go if i felt like i really needed a meeting okay um and then um you know if uh a friend needed support i would go with them and then otherwise it was honestly you know getting my chip every year mm. um which the first year i didn't even do because i felt i still felt so like undeserving to some degree that I was like, is a year a real accomplishment or not? And it's, and then I finally started to like accept that like a one day is an accomplishment, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Sorry to answer your actual question. No, that's okay. Um, 
with COVID, um, yeah, I've definitely done uh, like a handful of uh, phone call meetings. I have not done the video meetings just because I don't know why we're doing them for sex addicts. I think that's kind of weird. Oh, that's um, interesting. Yeah, because I feel like, um, I mean, like you had mentioned, like meetings can be a place for predators. I don't, even if I just had a plain white wall somewhere in the house, I don't know. I don't want someone to have a, a video or like an image of me. Oh, well, yeah, I, that makes I wonder, sense. Um, like you were saying that there's, you know, there's fewer women who, um, who are, are come forward about that stuff, which sucks that, you know, that one it's, you know, the, uh, the perception, right. Of like our society is that women are better than men. You're not supposed to be disgusting. You're not supposed to do that stuff. And then on top of that, to have predators out there, I mean, that's, it's that much harder, which fucking blows. And so I, I, I hope that, you know, by you coming on here, it motivates people to, cause there, cause I would say there are, um, like, especially in the Alcoholics Anonymous world, there are women only groups. And so I, I, anybody who's listening, encourage you to look for women's only options, you know, try to find strength and allies and, um, and it could, because they had pointed out too, that, uh, when men go to a meeting, they don't get dressed up, but Mm -hmm. women are expected to put their makeup on, to do their hair, Um. like to, and so just knowing that there are going to be men there. Even if it doesn't feel like a big deal, there's still this pers- like expectation that you know yeah. you're supposed to show up or whatever. Mm-hmm. And you talked about your therapist was the kind of the one that pointed it out to you. Do you still see that therapist? Are you still engaging in therapy? Yeah, um, I still do check-ins with her. Yeah. Okay. So if like it's been like a couple of months. You know, I'll try and do like a, a couple sessions with her just to like check in if something like super major happens, you know, I'll start being regular for a bit. So what have you learned um, that has been able to help people understand uh, more when, when they hear uh, sex addiction? I, I, I do always try and like encourage people to understand that it's not like when they hear a celebrity is, you know, a sex addict because they cheated on, you know, their partner a lot. Um, yeah, that's a real thing. It's not just something that they're covering up. Um, and I think men kind of get put in two categories of sex addiction, you know, like, Oh, they're like pigs. Cause they hook up all the time or they're like an incel and they like, you know, just watch a type of pornography and touch themselves. Uh, and I, I think boiling it down to that is so unfair to people. Uh, and it's probably why so many people, so many more people are, are sex addicts and probably don't know. Cause they're like, well, I'm not like, you know, cheating on my partner cause I'm trying to hurt someone all the time. Or, you know, I'm not, you know, I'm not just watching porn because I'm not dating someone. Uh, It's honestly so much more than that. And I think the more that people understand, like, how people get, like, you know, kind of fall into the ritual of doing these things all the time to the point that suddenly you can't live without it as well is, you know, 
kind of the larger issue. Um, I think you've mentioned it on here before where like chemically can you really get addicted to marijuana based on what it's made out of? Mm, no, like scientifically we keep saying no, but you can definitely be addicted to marijuana. Uh, I think sex and pornography are the same thing. Psychologically. Yeah. yeah. You get that. Exactly. that yep, you still have that craving and yeah. you almost still can with, like you can't physically withdraw from um marijuana or pornography or sex but there is some physical component like you're not going to get the sweats or tremors and stuff like that with you see with other like narcotics and um, mm-hmm. alcohol but there is some physical component to it with marijuana in sex and pornography i mean people who have shopping addictions there's oh, still going to yeah. be that physical withdrawal from it yeah trigger yeah. triggers don't just apply to um snowflakes like people yeah. think people think that trigger is like some type of millennial construct but it it's a real applicable term towards anything that has um become detrimental to a healthy lifestyle like exercise people can be addicted to exercise and we look at i mean we look at exercise as something healthy but there's an extent where you're exercising so much that it's not healthy anymore yeah yeah and i mean for me i always encourage people uh you know if you it's kind of like you know the way that my friends viewed me is i was like like the fun crazy friend that had all these silly sex stories and was always going out like fucking dudes and like you know uh you know hooking up with people at bars and uh you know just i could go flirt with anyone like you know i was that kind of like fun friend um and honestly i mean those people obviously exist like you know people are sexually different um in so many ways to like be extroverted or introverted about it whatever that's fine but honestly, if you ever like question why you're hooking up with someone or if you hook up uh, so often that like you, you feel physically like fatigued or injured by it, uh, you know, you're probably a sex addict. And even if you're not directly, there's obviously something going on that it wouldn't hurt to listen to a movie or read something. Um, Cause you know, that can stem into insights and honestly, uh, so the sex addicts like white book, uh, is just called, you know, the book. And then we have the bigger book, which actually is alcoholics anonymous. Um, our book, like a lot of other like non-substance addictions are based on that book as well. So we often refer to it. Uh, and there's a lot of people who, become sober from substances that become sex addicts um Mm -hmm. like you had mentioned earlier chris that people you know find things to replace their addiction with cross addiction yeah and um you know there's a lot of uh guys who are just like oh i'm a regular alcoholic um but my partner and i are going through this together you know becoming sober and they find that uh they become like physically addicted to each other uh in like a sexual way sure like anytime someone feels like an urge or gets a flashback or something they end up having sex and that is hurting their relationship because they're not 
they're finding comfort, but they're not solving, you know, the things that they're running into every day. Yeah. Right. So it must be that what you talked about, that physical dopamine, like yep. they're, they're having that desire to drink. So they're going to increase their dopamine by having relationships, you yep. know, sexual relationships with each other. Well, and, and, uh, a lot of, um, people joke about this all the time. But how, um, especially like a lot of male comedians will joke about how they'll jerk off and then immediately feel horrible about themselves. Mm-hmm. You're, you're internally realizing that you didn't need to do the thing that you just did. And that goes the same thing for substance is as soon as you get drunk, oftentimes you're like, oh, fuck, I'm drunk. And so like when you climax and then it's over and you're like, oh shit, I got the thing, but it hasn't made me feel better. Mm. It's not like for guys, I would say if that happens to you a lot, it's not, it's not like supposed to be a common thing. You shouldn't always feel bad after you're doing what you think is going to make you feel better. Oh yeah. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I guess we didn't talk about that as, as much, but like, um, it, would you even climax when you were hooking up with people? Oh, no, like never. I really never had like a full orgasm with like a partner until after I got healthy. Even. Wow. Uh, so like my early 20s when I, you know, had my first like major healthy relationship uh, it wasn't until then, and that's probably because, you know, the sex actually, it meant something to be close to someone physically. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, and for someone to accept me for kind of who I am versus, like, what I am or, like, what, you know, physical service I'm essentially offering them. Like, <laughs> to some degree, it was kind of like an unpaid sex worker who was just, like, in my mind, like, doing it because I love the sport. Uh, and then finding yeah. out later, I actually like hate this sport and it's super bad for me. And part of me is like, man, you know, I wish I would have um, realized before, you know, having hurt myself so many times that I actually didn't like it. I wasn't getting anything out of it. You know, I was high while it was happening. And afterwards, I was so low. Yeah. And that really is what, you know, People find like higher, like harder drugs, um, or they take larger doses, um, you know, or do it more frequently, stuff like that. It's the same thing with this, you know, I was hooking up with multiple people in an evening because I needed to like keep that high. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Absolutely. It makes sense. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a pattern of addiction, man. It's a, it's a real, real bastard. <laughs> so, so I mean, um, as far as advice for somebody who is on the, f- I mean, you've already kind of said it. Yeah, but I was gonna say, Sherry kind of said that. Yeah, yeah. I was gonna. Well, so any other imparting words that you'd <laughs> like for? People? I really thanks for sharing. I mean, you opened even my eyes up to sex addiction, so I really appreciate you coming on. Yeah, yeah, and it's Great. it's something that I, I I've. I've kind of glazed over it a couple of times, but yeah, it's, it's something that, uh, 
pretty clearly was a was a part of my life and when I thought I had it figured out it just went right into another addiction so that's that's another big big role that these things play when it comes to getting sober mm-hmm. yeah uh, I would definitely just say like if anyone feels like they're dealing with these like feelings or issues um, you know just googling it like I honestly think that's kind of the real first step nowadays. Yeah. Uh, just Google it. I mean, you don't have to talk with everyone about it. Like I'm so open about it at meetings and stuff. The guys are like, you're kind of a freak, right? Like it's not normal for you to like post on Facebook. Hey everyone, I'm a sex addict. I'm no longer going to be hooking up or like, I'm going to, I was celibate for a year after my first major breakup of like during sobriety because I was terrified I would go on a date and hook up with someone. I had like nightmares. So, you know, honestly, like if you're too scared to make people in your life aware about it at first, just Google it. Like you reading something alone, especially during COVID, like no one has to know right away. You have plenty of time to like figure out and explore things on your own. I would, I would imagine, um, between you and a therapist is all the more people that ever need to know. I mean, until you find like a healthy relationship and you want them to know, but um, it's, it's not something that you have to be forced onto a stage for sure. Oh, definitely. Um, You know, there's plenty of people who, you know, are like, I'm not religious. There's other people who are not religious. You know, you can find steps and meeting programs for that that don't involve any type of religion or spirituality. Um, if you're not comfortable with groups, you know, like you said, one-on-one with a therapist, it's totally possible. And nowadays, I mean, you don't even have to meet them or do a video chat. You can message with them if that's mm-hmm. easier for you. Yeah. Like, there's so many ways to do it in a protected setting now that you don't necessarily need to feel exposed the whole time. You could be sitting in your room eating hot Cheetos and bearing your soul. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> pretty much. Oh, Morgan, thank you so freaking much for, for calling. This was, I, I'm sorry for the long pauses, but I just. I yeah, was, we were trying to like grasp everything. Yeah, because yeah. for one, I hate I hate hearing stories, especially people's trauma. Yeah, yeah. like the the what the, yeah, I could go on and on about that, but <laughs> it's it's just that was really really great to hear. So thank you so much. Yeah, of course. Thank you for having me, and I mean, asking what I think was totally great questions. You know, for. Uh, a type of addiction a lot of people don't know about and, you know, being welcoming. Because honestly, uh, a lot of people wouldn't want something like this, you know, on their podcast. But, um, you know, it's great that you guys are so supportive. Yeah, well, we're just not cowards and we're amazing, so. <laughs> <laughs> of course. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much. We'll talk to you soon. All right. Thank you both. Bye-bye. Bye. Did you text your dad back? Yeah. What Damn you, it. What did you say? The joke I was trying to make today, I thought of a funny joke. I texted him and I said, sorry for your loss. And he texts me back, how's your journal? I was like, what the? That, why would you respond that way? Anyway, let's get back I to I wanted the, him to say, what loss? And then I say, your hair. Oh. Sorry for your hair loss.
That's funny. Thank you. <laughs> I feel like I learned a lot about a sex addiction. Yeah, man. I, I mean, yeah. Okay, he got it. <laughs> um, yeah, and I forgot to tell you about that too. That the the authentic podcast that I did, I had never made that connection that I had been like replacing your addiction, replacing yeah. addictions the whole time. Yeah, yeah. and that was yeah. So that's that whole conversation reminded me of that. Yeah. It's nice. Her talking about that too, like made me question when I was younger and I was doing the things I was doing sexually. Like, sure. was I? experience in some type of addiction at that point because like i wasn't always finishing either it was just like the thrill of getting it finding it getting it kind of a thing yeah just kind of sad <sighs> yeah it's the human brain yeah it's it's a tricky thing man yeah and um i think even it's it's crazy to think that in our relationship we joked about how often we would we would sleep we would have sex with each other and who knows if that was healthy or not? Yeah. The amount that like the lengths that with which I would go to yeah, and yeah. the lengths that you would go to just, just to do that and then go home. Yeah. It's, it's crazy to, to think about. about. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the, the, I'm glad we had her on cause this Absolutely. is, we, I feel like we talk a lot about substances and stuff like that it's kind of nice to hear something that's an addiction that's not necessarily mind altering mind altering that's a good way to put it people think that i think people forget about exercise and shopping and stuff like that that can be very addicting yeah well but it's not a substance when, when we say it i think people almost think that we're just kind of throwing um arbitrary things out there and saying that you can no. be addicted to it we're no. th- those are real life things gambling yeah. gambling, gambling is another one yes. that's not mind altering no that you absolutely can be addicted there's to. a period before we got pregnant with layla where i got very like obsessed addicted almost to counting calories where i was at my lowest weight i was tiny like yeah. i look back on pictures and i would know what calories were and everything. it's almost an eating disordered yeah but like I was obsessed and addicted to knowing how many calories I was taking in every day. That's not mind. That's not a substance, but it was, it took up, it altered my Real mind estate. all the time. Yeah. I could, I got to the point where I could go through a drive through and knew what I could order. So I wouldn't go over my amount of calories that I could have in a day and knew how much I had to walk that evening to try and get, stay in my calorie range. Yeah. There's any, anything and I'm always saying it wrong because um, anything that can hinder your life is a good way to put yeah, it. Yeah, But I see, I always say detrimental, but it's um, when you become a danger to yourself or those around you, that's the phrase that they say. So if you become a danger to yourself or those around you by having a, some sort of substance, yeah. mind altering, well, whatever this, this um, uh, object, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> activity. There it is. Uh, whatever the activity is. Um, that's that's Tanning. an addiction. A hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. Man, we should look up my strange addiction. I mean, there's so many addictions on yeah, there. Yeah, people laugh about that. But and it's not funny. These these people, it's, that's why I thought of the exercise thing too, because I watched the first episode. I think it was the first episode. This guy was addicted to running and yep. he was very Where his parents sick. are trying to get him to stop. 
Yeah, and then the girl that was addicted to tanning and all. I mean, it's and it's interesting. I should look up what episodes they have and just like that way we can talk about them. Yeah. But all right. Well, shit. That was great. That was really good. That was a good episode. Hey, I'm excited to go to Ikea with you Thursday. Next week when we record, things might look different in here. Things very well may look different. So trying to change things up, make more of an inviting environment, yes. especially when we talk about very serious things. Mm-hmm. So we, f- <laughs> sorry, <laughs> so people can feel more comfortable and yeah, all that. Sometimes like having the table in the way you in these chairs, you can't sit comfortably. But yeah. we kind of wa- we don't want to make it feel like a therapist office, but we want it more comfortable. Come yes. and tell us your story. Yeah. And all that. Come hang. Come hang. We might have to plug the mini fridge back in and allow people to have like a Fiji water or something. Yeah. I don't know. But once, I mean, things are still kind of going up with COVID. Um, if you feel comfortable coming into our home, we we have tons of hand sanitizer. We yep, clean. Got it on my desk over there. We're, you know, if you feel like you want to be on the podcast anonymously, anonymously, you can do that. We can do video or um, phone like we did. Um, yeah. We can do that kind of stuff. So we are Absolutely. very open to having people because we learn things. Yeah. Constantly. I work in mental health. I work with people who are dependent on things. And I learned a lot during this podcast. Yeah. yeah. And uh, if there isn't an episode next week, I apologize. But uh, my board is broken. Yeah. So if you We're saw Kim be- and I looking at each other weird in the first part of the episode, it's because things kind of sound weird in the in the different Crap headphones, that I had yeah, to hook up. yeah, we so. weren't trying to look weird because what we were yeah. hearing, it, the headphones and the, everything was yeah. kind of wonky. But so, all right, well, with this, I'll pass. With this, will pass. Who is Will? <laughs> okay, what is that again? And with that, oh, and with that, we'll pass. And with that, we will pass. And with that, we will pass. <laughs> Good job. <laughs>